0: All right, let's go to Psalm 139. So we wrap up a three-week sprint through this psalm. Um, I think if if you've been here on these three weeks, or if you've been watching on the live stream or catching up on the podcast, I think you know what I mean when I say we're we're gone very quickly, because within each each phrase, each uh, word sometimes, there's just the depths that you could go to. So you could stay in this one Psalm for a long time. And, um, this has just been a three weeker and, uh, we get to the back third of this Psalm. And, um, you know, the, I told the first service, the, the first week was kind of in the theological deep end. Last week was in the like emotional deep end a little bit. Um, I'm not sure which deep end this will be, but it'll be deep, uh, as deep as, uh, as I can go. So um, starting in verse 17, um, we pick up, David is writing and he says, uh, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were, uh, if I were to count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. All right, let's pause, pause right there. So David is, um, apparently like he's just really in awe of the, uh, about the mind of God. He's talked about other, other attributes and different things about God leading up to this point in the Psalm. But here he's kind of fixated on the mind of God, uh, and this and this gets into another one of those attributes that's incredibly important: is that, that God is he is limitless, he is infinite, that there is no uh, there are no boundaries with him, and so uh, that's kind of what he's pointing to: is how how vast are your thoughts? It'd be like trying to count the sand. Uh, there's, there's so there's so much going on in the mind of God that if I'm trying to count it, I would eventually get tired, have to take a nap, and even when I woke up, I would just start counting again because you're there with me because I don't come to the end of understanding you. That, that the mind of God is is a, a beautiful, wonderful, majestic thing. And there's so many times when, when we focus on the heart of God, the compassion of God, the, the grace of God, the love, all those those things are fantastic, but here David just in these two verses is like, "Hey, don't forget, um, our our God is is not uh, a carved like trunk of a tree, you know. That's where where they live, where they would they would worship these carvings or these like sculptures made out of stone. Um, they're worshiping these dead uh, things, these things that are completely false gods. That's going on in this entire region of the world." And he's and he says he's. It's almost like he's just blown away. He's like, my God is not a piece of stone or a carving. My God has a mind, and it's the kind of mind that is so vast you you could you could never really wrap your arms around it. Um, not not only though, does God have thoughts like limitless thoughts, within that also are our uh, opinions. Like he. He really has an opinion about things. Um, he has intentions as he is leading our, our lives, and, and so and so David is. It's almost like he's just kind of swept up, and he's in awe of these things about God. That that these thoughts and these opinions, and these intentions, are not like our thoughts and our intentions and our opinions. That that God's are they're holy. So he doesn't have thoughts that have been infected by sin. He has pu- like completely pure. Thoughts, completely pure opinions. He he's not basing it on off of some experience he had one time, or an article that he read somewhere, or what his best friend told him. uh, He saw on Facebook. He's like bringing one hundred percent holy thoughts and intentions and all this to the table. And so um, this is something. Notice, look back at verse seventeen. He not only talks about the sum of these thoughts blowing him away, but he says that that this is a precious thing to him. That he he treasures the thoughts of God, the opinions of God, the intentions of God. Um, this, this is something that David holds very closely to him. It's very dear to him. I, I got very hung up on that this week in studying through it and all that of like, are God's thoughts precious to me? Like they're definitely interesting to me, and I definitely like that they carry weight and that kind of stuff. But could I call them pre- like precious? Could I call them something that I treasure, that I um, that I hold like dear as dear of dear importance to me? Um, so we kind of come back to this idea of heavenly wisdom. that's kind of been one of the themes in the last couple of weeks is, is God, God knowing he knows what to do and he knows how to do it. That's like a summary of, of heavenly wisdom. He knows exactly what to do and he knows exactly how to do it. He knows what to do because he is holy. He knows how to do it because he is loving and he is love. And so he is holy love. He is heavenly wisdom. Uh, That is who God is. And in every area of life, of your life, of my life, he is completely invested. So that, that vast mind, um, those, that vast set of holy love in, that is in, in his intentions, his opinions, his thoughts, everything about your life that he brings to the table, he is completely invested in. Like he really like really does care about the things that are on your list, whatever your list is. We all have them. They're the things we're we're thinking about, things that we're worried about, things that uh, we have forgotten about. They have vanished off the list, but they're still there. Um, They need to be there. Um, They're the the things that we're praying about. They're the things we're not praying about. They're the the stuff that's weighing on us. It's the unknown. It's just, well, we all have our list. And every one of the things on your list, as, as different as this room is, as different as our lists are, and every single one of them, he looks at it, and he says, "I have a thought about that. I have an opinion about that. I have, uh, I have heavenly wisdom for that. I know what to do, and I know how to do the, it. every item on the list." And David David would, in response to that, would say, uh, "I find that to be very, very uh, treasured and precious to me. I would love to know what you think about this." Let's go item by item through my list, and I would like you to weigh in on this. And God's connection to David that we see through the psalm that is transferred to us is that he is invested in those things because he's connected to us as those who bear his image. Another way to say that is, is I, am, I am his son, you are his daughter that as his sons and as his daughters, he is bonded to us the same way all of you who are parents are bonded to your kids. They bear your image. You care about all the things on their list. You want to speak wisdom. You want to guide them along. You want to help them know what to do and how to do it. And your heavenly parent uh, is the same exact way. He just brings a much better set of thoughts and intentions and opinions to the table than you do. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but he's better at it than you are. Y'all are great. He is greater. You know, that's kind of, kind of what we're trying to, to realize is that as we work, work through our list, that God really, he really does care because of that investment that that is there. And so, um, he's invested in our sonship. He has that infinite wisdom. And so, uh, why wouldn't we pray and ask God to weigh in about the things on our list? You know? I'm not assuming that you, that you don't do that, but I'm also not assuming that you do that. If you're a normal human, there are probably times when you do and times when you don't, right? I mean, that's kind of, kind of what I've picked up on, being around church for most of my life. That's how most of us live, is there are times where we're consistently, we come before the Lord, we're like, all right, here, this, is, this is all the stuff that's, that's on my heart, on my mind, I want to know what I want you to weigh in on all these things. There are times when that's a part of it, and there are times when we just don't. And if I had to to summarize what I like pastorally have picked up on, it's that usually when the times we're not doing that, there's two things that are happening at the same time. Um, one is is we have a distorted view of ourselves in that moment, and we have a distorted view of God in that moment. Distorted view of self, distorted view of God. That's what leads to us not asking him. The sort of view of self is that we start to think that we're more awesome than we are, right? We're kind of like, I don't know if I need to really ask God about this one. I don't really know if I need him to weigh in here. I think I kind of got this one covered. Let's go to the more pressing things on the list or or whatever whatever the case may be. We just kind of get puffed up. And so we have this sort of inflated view of self. And at the same time, we have a kind of a deflated view of the Lord, uh, which is, this. that's where it all went wrong in the beginning, right? Like in, in chapter three of the book, that's where everything got broken, is Adam and Eve became convinced that they could pretty much run the world too. That they, they're like, well, I mean, God's cool and all, but like, He's trying to keep us from like from being as awesome as him. That's why he doesn't want to eat of this tree, because it wants to eat that fruit, then that means uh, then I, we're gonna become like him and he doesn't want a rival, so he's holding out on us. I don't really trust his thoughts or his opinions or his intentions about this. Being a little suspect there. So because I think I make better decisions than him, I'm gonna eat of the fruit. We'll see what happens. And the next thing you know, we're all here being like, Come on, guys, seriously? Like that that points to the fundamental problem of that we all bring to the table. All of our brokenness is that we think we can do a better job than he can. And when that is happening, the last thing you're going to do is ask for input from a rival God. So that's what our pride does. So when those distorted views are in place, that's when we're not asking. So if you're wondering, why do... Why haven't I been asking God about this? It has something to do with that Those mixture of those two things in some form. And what David is trying to help us to do is to is to set that right side up again and have an accurate view of God. And in light of the accurate view of God, then we have an accurate view of self. So the, the first uh, 18 verses of this psalm are helping us get an accurate view of God and an accurate view of self. And when that is in place we are coming before God and we're saying, I don't want to do anything with this list until I have you weighing in on it. He can weigh in through the scriptures. He can weigh in through the, the spirit sp- speaking things and confirming what's in his word. Um, there's there's plenty of ways that we can sense the leadership of God. Um, and I know that that is a topic that uh, people are always very interested in talking about. It's like, how, how do we hear from God? Not in like necessarily an audible sense, but how do we how do we sense that leadership and know that it's him? It's a very important question. We don't have time to get into it today, but I would love to talk about it at some point. Um, and so just let me know. We'll sit down. We'll hammer that out. We'll, we'll settle that important theological issue in a 30-minute coffee. I mean, no problem. Just kidding. But it is something we need to be talking about. But at the end of the day, it's just do, do I believe that, that my perfect heavenly parent loves me enough to lead me? And if I do then he he knows me he wired me up he knows how to communicate with me and I just have to figure out how how he communicates with me the most consistently uh it's going to involve the scriptures it's going to involve hearing him uh, communally like locked arms with other people um it's going to it's going to involve those things we have to figure that out but really it has to start with do you see God accurately and in in view of that accuracy do you see yourself accurately then you're in the posture of heart that's able to humbly say, please weigh in on this. So how, how precious to me are your thoughts? How vast is the sum of them? Then we get to verse 19, and it takes a weird turn. Let me, let me just read it for us. Same writer, same psalm. Verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O oh, men of blood depart from me they speak against you with malicious intent your enemies take your name in vain do i not hate those who hate you o oh lord and do i not loathe those who rise up against you i hate them with complete hatred i count them my enemies okay Whew. <laughs> who wrote that yeah who snuck in and jokingly wrote in David's journal, like, what's going on? Um, there really isn't a, there isn't like a great concrete, like, let me just explain this real quick and then it'll all make sense. Uh, I have two possible scenarios and I think there's some legitimacy to both of them. But before I get, I get that, let me, just, let me just say this. We have to keep in mind that David is not Jesus. That David is like a real, like normal person David has his issues, just like you and I have our issues. Um, We can't we can't look at him and think that he like makes no mistakes or or whatever. If you know anything about his life, we are able to see great, incredible moments and some pretty boneheaded moments as well. And so, just remember, David's a normal person. And so, uh, what 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 is possibly going on here in this psalm? Both of them, I think, are important possibilities. One uh, is that what we're seeing. Here is a deep sense of loyalty. It's a really deep sense of loyalty that that in in one through eighteen he's so swept up in the beauty of God that he is bonded to to God in a way where he is aligning himself, and he's essentially saying, anyone who's against you, they're they're against me too. Like we we are that we are unified. So if you so your enemy is my enemy. And if someone is going to murder other image bearers, I'm. I, he says, "Depart from me." He said, "I want. I'm going to detach myself from them. I want nothing to do with with people who are going to kill other image bearers." No one's killing my siblings, and me just sit sit by and just take it. You know, that maybe there is a there's a a, a beautiful loyalty uh, that he is communicating here. Um, and Eugene Peterson, in in, his, uh, in the message, which is a paraphrase of the scriptures, this is what. Let me just read you what he how he interprets this passage. He says, uh, "And please, God, do away with wickedness for good. And you murderers, you're out of here. All the men and women who belittle you, God, who are infatuated with cheap God imitations, see how I hate those who hate you, God." See how I loathe all this godless arrogance. I hate it with pure, unadulterated hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. And that's not like significantly better, but it does kind of help you see uh, where some of this darkness is coming from. And we probably experienced that, you know, like um, there, are, there are various entertainers or um, uh, academics out there and stuff like that. Certain people... Who they have a? They love to target Jesus. They love to target Christianity. They love to target just our God in general. And doesn't that doesn't that kind of like get your blood boiling just a little bit? You know, when someone is mocking the bride of Christ or Christ Himself. So that's a part of that loyalty. It's like no, no, He's that's that's my Savior. You know, like so it, it could be coming from from a place like that. But yet he's a like he's a passionate poet, right? And artists uh, they tend to they tend to like be ex- extreme sometimes in order to like uh, express what's going on inside of them. And so this could be uh, a passionate poet's uh, way of expressing the loyalty and solidarity he feels with this God who is so majestic and who has cared for him so well. That could be that could be one explanation. Um, here's a, here's a second possibility is that David had a bad day. Like, just plain and simple. Maybe David had a bad day. Like, maybe this psalm wasn't written in one sitting. What if Psalm 139 is like a week's worth of journal entries or a month's worth of, of him just sitting down and writing poetry, but it's, maybe it spans over time. Uh, they, they're uh, really smart people have sat down and they've tried to make a chronological um, layout of the Psalms. So it's so where you kind of know at what point in biblical history, the different ones were written and they place this one like at the beginning of his kingship. And so what if, what if the, in, in just the, the emotional, like the, just the beauty of the first part of the Psalm, um, as he's become the King, then what if maybe he got into it and he just started to learn a little too much, you know, about things. Maybe he just got exposed to some of the rougher parts of being the king, or just the realities of human nature, or you know, it just could be it could be a number of things. Maybe he just kind of had a bad day. I was reading a, a, an interview, a transcript of an interview with um, an Old Testament scholar, uh, Dr. John Golden Gay, and he, um, he, in describing the Psalms, he described the the whole collection. He says. He says, you're looking at 150 things that it's okay to say to God. I thought that was very, very interesting because if you study, if you study more and more of the Psalms, there, there are, are certain, certain things that are just like what you'd expect. Like it sounds like a, like a worship song, like a praise and worship song. And then there are some things like this where you're like, man, he's, he's talking about how much he hates people. And I think that perspective is so is so interesting. If you think of uh, God saying, "God saying, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. It's okay to pray. It's okay to confess." Um, here's another way of thinking of it: that that God is God can handle our negative, like emotional rants. He he can handle that. Like he's not, um, his feelings don't get hurt. He doesn't roll his eyes. He's not like I have something better to do than to hear you whine. None of that kind of stuff. And if if you grew up in a home where your parents um, didn't know what to do with you expressing your negative emotions, the tendency is going to be for you to project that onto God. And I hope that you'll hear the Spirit saying, hey, let's let's take that off the board. Um, your parents may have not wanted your negative em- emotions to come out, and they may have tried to always like shut those down, but God is here to say, tell, tell me more about that. It's okay. He he's he can handle it. Um, could be loyalty. Could be he had a bad day. Don't really know. Um, I look forward to asking him on the new earth one day. Do what happened, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, the the psalm doesn't end there, and I think that's really important. It wasn't like, oh, these things are beautiful, and then like, oh, this is terrible, the end. That tacked on the end of it is this prayer that uh, we've used many times over the years. Look at verse 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I don't know if this is, I'm about to present to you like my kind of uh, interpretive opinion about this. I don't know for sure. There's no way to know for sure. Um, But I think this is maybe David's way of pulling his emotions back to the middle where they need to be. And here's, here's what I mean. Um, A lot of you listen to a a podcast by a counselor named Adam Young. um, And uh, it's, it's really, really good. And I've, Incorporated a lot of his like stuff in the last couple weeks because I feel like it just fits so well, and he talks about um, like it, our emotions like uh, along a, like a continuum or a spectrum. Um, and I said this in the early service too. This might be like the whole industry talks about it this way, not just Adam Young, but that's where I heard it from. So I'm giving him credit for it. So if you think about a spectrum of emotions, on one end. Let's say, like a, if you if you're a ten, um, that that end of the spectrum is is terror, basically. Like you are you are completely terrified and paralyzed by that terror. Um, the other end of the spectrum is you are completely numb, like you feel you feel nothing, and so. Uh, toward the the higher end of the spectrum, that's where your like anxiety folks would be, like your because fear and anxiety and doubt and those kind of things, like anything like anticipating evil things happening, that's kind of on the higher end. The lower end, that's where like de- depression would be, um, that you are just feeling emotionally low, with numb being the most extreme of that. And so all of us are living our lives, and we're we're trying to be in the middle. We're trying to be like four, five, six, like kind of in the middle, Um, and life happens. And sometimes life happens, and it pushes you. It it heightens your emotions, like more toward the anxiety, worry, fear, and toward terror. And sometimes, and this is usually a little bit slower, uh, your emotions dip on the lower end of the spectrum, and you're sad, and you're grieving, Um, you're just kind of just down for a while, depressed maybe. And then uh, the most extreme being like you just don't feel anything, and so what we're what we are all going for is we're trying to whenever you sense yourself being heightened or you or you feel yourself dipping lower, you are self aware enough to know I'm I'm too high or I'm too low I need to get back to the middle, and counselors call that regulation. So you're trying to regulate your emotions of keeping them from the extremes and keeping them in the middle. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do. That's what, um, that's what emotional health looks like. As you know, I, I'm high, I'm low, and this is what it takes to get me back to the middle. Um, now, uh, that's kind of how we're, we're living our lives, but then there are times when you're, you're on the higher end or you're on the lower end, and you have no idea how to get yourself back to the middle. And there are trained professionals who, uh, who know what to do when you're like, I'm not sure how to do, but I'm, I'm stuck on eight and I have no idea what to do about it. They're like, okay, we can work with that or whatever it may be. So if you hear me describing you of like I'm stuck on the continuum and I don't know how to get back to the middle, uh, you are a prime candidate to go to counseling uh, which uh, we are all for here at Living Hope. We have a budget. We have it in the budget to help you do that. It's incredibly important, um, and it doesn't mean you have to go to counseling every week for the rest of your life. It may be that you just need to go work with someone who has the tools to help you figure out how how can I self regulate uh, and get back to the middle. All that to say, what if what if David sat down? He read the whole psalm up, like from top to bottom, to this point, and he was like, "Whoa, I um, I was in a great place, and now I'm not in a good place right now." What if he wrote that? What is the last line? What if he wrote the last line? I hate them with complete hatred, and he like stepped back, like, mm-hmm. "What in the world?" What if he was self aware enough to know in that moment that he? Uh, is heightened on the emotional spectrum, but even more importantly on the spiritual spectrum. And he's like, "I've, I've got to get, I got to get myself back in, back in touch with the truth." And what if this is his prayer? What if for him this was how he uh, spiritually regulates himself? That's if that's what's going on here. I think we need to really pay attention to it, because all of us go through this, don't we? All of us go through times when you're like, I don't think I could love the Lord anymore, and then it's almost like before you know it, you're like, How am I even a Christian? (laughs) Did I do that? You know, like that's we do those things, or you feel like I couldn't love the Lord anymore, and then the next week you come into the service, you're like, I don't, I, I would have rather been anywhere else than in church today. Don't amen, don't amen that one right now. Uh, so the, this whole concept, maybe, and I think this is what's going on, and I'll confirm it with David one day. I think he's saying this, this is what I have to do, this is what works for me, to get me back to where I need to be. And look, look more specifically at what he says. <clears throat> you look at, you look at the, the active words, search me, try me, see me, lead me search me. Eugene Peterson says, basically investigate my life and find out everything about me. If David is saying, Hey, I'm not in a good place. I need the Lord to like search me. He says starts off the Psalm saying you've searched me and known me with the exclamation point. So he knows that that's good for God to investigate him and to find out everything that you can. And then he says, try me, which, which I think says, then go and test everything that you found. Like, Eugene says, "Like cross-examine me, like test it all. Be thorough, and then go be even more thorough. Search me, try me, see me. See if there's any grievous way in me. Think about this way. Think of where grief is. There anything in there that is bringing grief upon my life?" Like, am I being sinful in a way that is, am I acting like death? Like, will you purge out of me the things that are filled with death? And then will you just lead me, like lead me down the path of righteousness for your namesake. Show me what to do and how to do it. Give me the heavenly wisdom. Will you just expose whatever is in me that has just got me all out of sorts? Let's put it on the table and show me what to do with it. That's a that's a bold prayer, you know. Like that's that's not. Uh, there's nothing like easy about that. Like you have to be in a humble place before you'll even pray that. Um. But I think we can all objectively look at it and say that's that's strong, you know. Like to be in that place, you you really do want the heavenly wisdom of God to permeate your life. You really do want the thoughts of God. You really do want Him to weigh in on all the things on the list. You really do want to grow. You really do want to mature. You really do want to to walk uh, step in step with the Lord your God. You want. To be in the shadow of your rabbi, like all the things that that you're wanting. People who want those things pray this prayer, and people who um, who who want those things, but they don't really want them in the moment. You know, they they pray this prayer too. Because there's a part of you, the Christ in you, that is the hope of glory. That part of you looks looks at all those things and all that heavenly wisdom, and you're saying, "I I want that." I want I want to be that person. And God looks at you and says, "I want you to be that person too. That's why Jesus that's why I came and died so that you can be this person so that you can walk in this kind of reality." And so perhaps Psalm 139 is not just David working out his process and we read it that's very interesting. Maybe it's not as like autobiographical in like an interesting fact of history kind of way as it is uh, like a look in the mirror. Like perhaps Psalm 139 is a mirror for us. Showing us accurate view of God, accurate view of self, how it can go wrong, and how to get back to where you want it to be. What if that's a part of why Psalm 139 is there for us? Um, if it is, then we have to be responsible stewards of what he has entrusted to us. And my stewardship of this looks different than your stewardship of this. And so as we bring this three-week deal to a close and we move into something different next time, now this—it's I, I have to take this into my own life. You have to take this into your, your own life. But I believe a lot of that starts with seeing this as this is our collective story. It's not just David's story. This is for you and for me as well. So wherever this reaches into your life, uh, I hope that you will welcome it. You know That you won't shoo it away or put up a wall to keep it out. That you will welcome um, God's searching and trying and testing and seeing and leading of your life. And I hope that you will encourage me to do the same. Um, so normally, when I say normally, like pre-COVID, we would, uh, there'd be twice as many of us in the room and we would have communion set up down here and that'd be a part of our response time. But we're, we're unable to do that at the moment. And we're, we're trying to figure out what that can, can look like. Uh, but for right now, um, the reminder is this, that the spirit of communion still exists with us. That if we think of communion as Jesus offering you his body and his blood, He's saying, "I have what you need for this to, like, to do this in your life. I have what you need, do you want it?" And when we receive it, we're saying, yeah, yes, I want what you're offering to me. I, I need your life and, your, and I need your death. and I need your resurrection. I need all of those things. Um, and so as we sing and as, you know you may want to spend this, this time praying, whatever, whatever God is stirring in you, however you want to receive it, I think this, that spirit of communion needs to be there where we know that Jesus is offering us something. And what do you do when someone offers you something? You receive it. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a little bit more before we go. Um, So let's stand together as our musicians come back up.